We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I'm so delighted to see you all here this evening uh, for Maria Semple and, and Lo Semple. This is a wonderful turnout and a great way to conclude our Winter Word series uh, this year with a sold-out audience. Um, I'm Mo LeMay. I'm the director of the Aspen Writers Foundation. Um, it is our contributors that support us in bringing the best contemporary writers of our day to this community. Uh, so I want to thank our sponsors. They are La Dames de Aspen, The Hearthstone House, Linda and Denny Vaughn, Aspen Times, KSNO and KUUR, Aspen Skiing Company, Aspen Public Radio, especially Mitzi and the First Drafts program, and the City of Aspen. I also want to thank our AWF members and our Aspen Writers Network members and our very talented and generous AWF board. And a big thanks to Cheryl and Sam Wiley. Thanks so much. We're so grateful to all of you. Um, since Maria and Lo grew up in Aspen, at least part of the time, many of you probably know more about them than I do myself. Uh, but you may also be here because you love Maria's novel, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? as much as I did. Everyone I know has read that book and just loved it, um, I think as evidenced by this very large crowd here this evening. Um, it's uh, one of the few books that my wife and my daughter and myself all loved equally as well. <laughs> we usually don't like the same books. Um, and I think it's because it spoke so vividly of our own artistic, misfit, skeptical, rebellious relationship to the world and ourselves and this unusual com community. <laughs> and um, it also spoke to our own clumsy, imperfect need for each other. Um, it's such a funny and sad and original and human book. I just loved it. And perhaps that's why it's been running on the New York Times bestseller list for 50 weeks plus. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, Maria is also the author of the novel This One Is Mine. It's uh, for sale in our lobby. Um, as a screenwriter, her credits include Mad About You, Saturday Night Live, Arrested Development, Suddenly Susan, and Ellen. She was nominated for an Emmy in 1997 for Mad About You, and in 2006 and 7, she was nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award for Arrested Development. Um, her writing has appeared in The New Yorker, and she has also taught fiction at the Richard Hugo House. Um, Lo Simple, I've taken great pleasure in getting acquainted to Lo in the last, uh, actually several weeks, going back and looking at his archival columns. And they're so much fun. They're mischievous and funny, and they speak to Lo's great affection for this place and the epic adventures one can have here. So. Um, Lo will be interviewing Maria tonight, and I can't wait for it. So without further ado, it's a great delight to have you both here. And uh, please join me in welcoming Maria and Lo Semple. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's really. Um, beyond moving uh, for all of you to be here. Uh, m my only chance 
in before now to be on stage at Pappy Auditorium was when I was at the Aspen Country Day School and the high school was doing a performance of 10 Little Indians. And there were uh, parts for 12 and 13 people in the high school. And everybody auditioned and I was the only one who didn't get a part. Um, so what can I say? Revenge is a dish best served cold. Um, <laughs> it's very nice to be here. Uh, and also I wanted to start by um, acknowledging the passing of our father, Lorenzo Semple Jr., um, who I think a lot of people here knew. And he uh, passed peacefully a few days ago in, at his house in Brentwood. And uh, of all the um, wild accomplishments and wonderful things he did, I think that he might have been most proud of um, his decision to move the family to Aspen. Um, and we moved here in 1976 or something? 74. 74. And uh, it was a very weird thing to do at the height of his screenwriting career, just say, hey, let's just go to Aspen. And I, I hear it's great. We heard from Catherine Thalberg, uh, who was a friend from Los Angeles. She said, come on up. And so um, we did. And this really is our home. Uh, and so uh, we, we've all gone different places. As, as I went through the list, that I'm in Seattle, my sister's in New York, my mother's in LA, I've, I think you've got the best sample in Aspen, so. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right, Lo. Um, so I'm here with, uh, with my book, uh, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? And I'm gonna do a short reading um, to, to start things off. Uh, this book I wrote in, um, in Seattle. We had moved from Los Angeles, and I was in a very dark place emotionally. I um, had had a successful career in LA and thought, oh, I'll just go to Seattle and make a bunch of friends, and it'll all just, the life as a cabaret will just continue, but up in Seattle. And that's what I thought it would be. And um, at, at the same time we moved up there, my first novel, This One Is Mine, was published. And I, I love the novel, and, and it didn't break out. You know, it just was kind of nicely reviewed and died. And it was very painful, and it was almost intolerable for me to kind of accept what had happened. And um, so there I found myself in Seattle with all these uh, new type of people who, um, and, and I didn't feel very welcome there. But, but in their defense, I hated them first. So, uh, um, <laughs> so let's, must take responsibility for that. And, uh, and so instead of kind of accepting responsibility for my own kind of poisonous, uh, toxic victimization. I thought that I would instead blame all of my personal um, problems on a city full of people I've never met. Uh, and and um, uh, thus the book. Uh, um, but, but you know, it, it, there was, there's, a, there's actually a missing step there, which was when I was really in a bad way. I called up a friend in Los Angeles who, who'd been my former shrink and, and now is a friend. And I was just going on and on about all oh, the people here and the, all the kindergarten mothers with gray hair and they all drive Subaru and no one have a sense of humor and, and, and I'll never write again and I'm such a failure and there's, I just don't have the courage or the strength to bounce back from this devastating artistic failure. And he said to me, Maria, you're a writer. Writers must write. If you do not write, you will become a menace to society. <laughs> 
and I think you know that, that that line from the book. So that is where the book started, with that one line. And I thought, oh my gosh, who would I be in 15 years from now if I never bounced back from this failure? And um, I just kind of went to town, figuring out a, a woman who was so ashamed of, of, artistic, of, of an artistic failure in her past that she um, couldn't bounce back. And, uh, and what would life look like? So, so that, that, that was really what I was trying to write with this book. Um, I'm gonna s read a section of the book uh, that I, as I was writing it, referred to as Bernadette's Letter, which as you probably all know, this is an epistolary novel, so it's all letters. But I knew in the middle of the book, the whole book would hinge on Bernadette explaining what she's been doing for the last 20 years to an architect friend back in Los Angeles. And I knew it had to be really, really good. And it really scared me, uh, the thought of writing this letter. And uh, I, I did it, and I'm now going to read you f uh, from it. And so this is Bernadette. All you need to know about this is that she's in Seattle unhappy and explaining to her former uh, uh, colleague, she, she had been an architect herself, what she's been doing in Seattle. Paul, greetings from sunny Seattle. Where women are gals, people are folks, a little bit is a skosh. If you're tired, you're logie. You can't sit Indian style, but you can sit crisscross applesauce. When the sun comes out, it's never called sun, but always sunshine. Nobody swears, but someone occasionally might drop the F-bomb. You're allowed to cough, but only into your elbow. And any request, reasonable or unreasonable, is met with, no worries. <laughs> Have I mentioned how much I hate it here? <laughs> you probably wonder what I've been doing for the last 20 years. I've been resolving the conflict between public and private space in the single family residence. I'm joking. I've been ordering shit off the internet. <laughs> so here we are in Seattle. First off, whoever laid out this city never met a four-way intersection they didn't turn into a five-way intersection. They never met a two-way street they didn't suddenly and for no reason turn into a one-way street. They never met a beautiful view they didn't block with a 20-story old folks home with zero architectural integrity. Wait, I think that's the first time the words architectural and integrity have ever been used together in a discussion of Seattle. <laughs> the drivers here are horrible. And by horrible, I mean they don't realize I have someplace to be. They're the slowest drivers you ever saw. If someone is at a five-way stoplight and growing old while they're waiting for the lights to cycle through, and finally, finally it's time to go, you know what they do? They start, then put on their brakes in the middle of the intersection. You're hoping they lost half a sandwich under their seat and are digging for it. But no, they're just slowing down because after all, it is an intersection. Sometimes these cars have Idaho plates. And I think, what the hell is a car from Idaho doing here? Then I remember, that's right, we neighbor Idaho. I've moved to a state that neighbors Idaho. <laughs> and any life that might still be left in me kind of goes poof. 
Seattle, I've never seen a city so overrun with runaways, drug addicts, and bums. Pike Place Market, they're everywhere. Pioneer Square, teeming with them. The flagship Nordstrom, have to step over them on your way in. The first Starbucks, one of them hogging the milk counter because he's sprinkling free cinnamon on his head. <laughs> oh, and they all have pit bulls, many of them wearing handwritten signs with witticisms such as, I bet you a dollar you'll read this sign. Why does every beggar have a pit bull? Really, you don't know? It's because they're badasses and don't you forget it. No one's ever laughed at that. I think that's a hilarious line. <laughs> I swear, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that until someone laughs at it, then I'll just stop reading it. I'll spare everyone. Uh, anyway, maybe I should have said it's because the beggars are badasses. Anyway, I don't know. There's something, something's not working there and I don't know what it is. Um, okay, I'll continue. I was downtown early one morning and I noticed the streets were full of people pulling wheelie suitcases. And I thought, wow, here's a city full of go-getters. Then I realized, no, these are all homeless bums who have spent the night in doorways and are packing up before they kicked out. Seattle, it's the only city where you step in shit and you pray, please God, let this be dog shit. <laughs> and don't get me started on Canadians, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Remember when the feds busted in on that Mormon polygamous cult in Texas a few years back? and the dozens of wives were paraded in front of the camera, and they all had this long mouse-colored hair with strands of gray, no hairstyle to speak of, no makeup, ashy skin, Frida Kahlo facial hair, and unflattering clothes. And on cue, the Oprah audience was shocked and horrified. Well, they've never been to Seattle. <laughs> There are two hairstyles here, short gray hair and long gray hair. You go into a salon asking for color and they flap their elbows and cluck, oh goody, we never get to do color. Nobody in Seattle likes me. See, that's supposed to be funny too. Because of course they don't, she's a bitch. Um, the day I got here, I went to Macy's to buy a mattress. I asked if someone could help me. You're not from around here, are you, the lady said. I can tell from your energy. What kind of energy was that? That I asked to be helped by a mattress sales lady in a mattress department? <laughs> Let's play a game. I'll, I'll say a word and you say the first word that pops into your head. Ready? Me, Seattle, you, rain. What you've heard about rain, it's all true. So you'd think it would become part of the fabric, especially among the lifers. But every time it rains and you have to interact with someone, here's what they'll say. Can you believe the weather? <laughs> and you wanna say, actually, I can believe the weather. What I can't believe is I'm having a conversation with you about the weather. But I don't say that, you see, because that would be instigating a fight, something I tried my best to avoid with mixed results. My first trip here up to Seattle, the realtor picked me up at the airport to look at houses. The morning batch were all craftsmen, which is all they have here if you don't count the rash of view-busting apartment buildings that appear in inexplicable clumps 
as if the zoning chief was asleep at his desk during the 60s and 70s and turned architectural design over to the Soviets. <laughs> Everything else is craftsmen, turn of the century craftsmen, beautifully restored craftsmen, reinterpretation of craftsmen, need some love craftsmen, modern take on craftsmen. It's like a hypnotist put everyone from Seattle in a collective trance. You are getting sleepy. When you wake up, you will want to live only in a craftsman house. <laughs> the year won't matter to you. All that will matter is that the walls be thick, the windows tiny, the rooms dark, the ceilings low, and it be poorly situated on the lot. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, pardon me, I'm tearing up at emotion of seeing my sister oh, <laughs> so successful and 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 also ever cried. Sherry, are you seeing this? I know. Yeah. I, I know, know I only usually cry at, you know, commercials and greeting cards, but <laughs> this is very out of character. Yeah, okay. Oh sweet low. But we'll build on this. Okay, good. Okay, good. It's like therapy at a sold out auditorium. Uh -huh, I, yeah. like it. <laughs> I think you call that a nightmare. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. Okay, let's um let's start with uh, some of these questions that I've that I've uh, formulated while skiing buttermilk today. Um, <laughs> the the epistolary format yes. is uh, it, it's crazy, it's frenetic. And at first for me, it was hard to digest and it was hard to get into the flow of it. Then I had an epiphany of why, and that was because it's a lot like my own modern day life mm -hmm. with the docudramas of back and forth emails, phone calls, messages, texts, uh, textuses, I think mm -hmm. is the plural. Uh -huh. and Texti. Texti, thank uh -huh. you. Yeah, uh -huh. and, the, and the often misinterpretation of these things. Um, do you think, or how do you think that had to do with the popularity of the book? Um, I chose to write it in the format of an epistolary novel. Really, it was just kind of creative problem solving because I started the book in the first person, and 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 Bernadette was so overbearing and toxic that I wanted to take her out back and shoot her. And uh, <laughs> and if I did, I can't imagine what the reader would, would think about it. And I just thought I can't do, I, I can't expect anyone to hang in for 300 pages of this. So I, I switched over to third person, but I wasn't able to capture the um, her voice and kind of her craziness. It was just hard. You know the difference between first person and third person, don't you? Barely. Oh, okay, good, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, 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 so the third person was, uh, was so, so that didn't work. And then it occurred to me um, that, that Bernadette, when I, I go on walks a lot, you know, I write in the morning for maybe two hours and then do about a two hour walk. And that's really where all the magic happens, you know, is on the walks. So you just start kind of coming up with things. I get it, that hiking Highlands Bowl a lot. So I totally. Can yeah, I, I bet you come up with a lot of your column ideas, right? Just on the chairlift or just mm -hmm. out. It's never like, you don't just sit there and force it at the computer. Magic happened. 
Yeah, yeah, it yeah. does, and no, it just kind of pops in, you know, when you're least expecting it. And so I thought that Bernadette, because she didn't like people, she probably would have an assistant to do things for her, so she, to interact with people. But then I thought, but wait, then you don't want the assistant in the house with you, because then you have to deal with the assistant and all of their problems. So I thought maybe she just emails the assistant. So these are things you just kind of work out. And so then the next day I, I went home and, and wrote her, uh, like emailing the assistant, and suddenly there was so much energy, it really just crackled, it kind of scared me. And I, because I, I got Bernadette's voice, and I liked the kind of, how um, imperious she was, you know, and oversharing I thought was funny. I could get a lot of comedy after just out of oversharing with an assistant. And so then I thought, oh, I'll just do the whole book this way. And so um, I, I, in fact, you know, it, it's so interesting how the book is one thing, it's one thing to you and then a very different thing to other people. I really felt I was writing a very old fashioned book because epistolary novels are so old fashioned and out of favor. That, that I went and, and read some very old epistolary novels to kind of learn some of the As tricks. As in Dying, for example? Oh, is that one? <laughs> well, aren't you, Mr. Smarty Pants? Like My the God, most, there you go. The most famous. Shit, really? Okay, okay, well there, okay, score one for him. So no, I, not that one. Not that one, yeah. <laughs> not that one. But um, no, uh, I'll, how about an 18th century one called Les Liaisons Dangereuses? I bet you haven't read that. It doesn't interest me. Yeah, okay, so, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that one I read. That was one of my favorite books. So I read that, and um, and 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 then it just became really fun, you know. And I, if if you noticed, I actually don't have, even though you said I have text. You obviously are not reading my book very carefully, but I do not have text, and I don't have Facebook or Twitter or any of that stuff because I think that stuff is tacky. I'm not on social media, and I felt like I don't want it to junk up my book. I felt like that would just. You know, like it's my book, I can do it the way ever I want. Thank you. All right, I love it. God bless you. Yeah, I just thought that's tacky. I don't want Facebook posts in my book, you know? And everybody who, the first people who read the book was like, oh, you can bring it even further with Facebook. Um, Lorenzo, he's not here to defend himself, but honestly, it was one of Poppy's suggestions. Was yeah. You should put text in, you should put all this stuff. And I thought, no, that's tacky. I don't want to put it in my book. I can do it the way I want. And so that's why th there's this real, um, you know, f fakeness to it, which is these very long formal letters that people write to each other, you know? Uh, and that's, but that's what an epistolary novel is. You write long letters to each other. And so I didn't want to compromise the language too much, you know, because we all write letters without capitalizations and emoticons and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I had to make it arch in this kind of fake reality where people are writing these kind of semi, you know, flowery, and not flowery, but just overly long letters to each other. Good, um, okay, let's, and so, oh wow, you're really good. done with this. That's good, I like that Apparently answer. Apparently it's not that interesting. You're the one who okay. asked the question, okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> Gee, excuse me for answering the question, yeah. okay. You're excused, you're okay. excused. <laughs> So now, the, when someone in your family writes something, uh -huh. there's a common misperception that p people in the family, or maybe the person reading it is in the book. Okay. LG's <laughs> brother, Van. Okay. Uh-huh. The deadbeat house sitter? I, I just so happened to drive a van, so okay. I don't know if there's any... His job is flushing toilets in, a, in second homes yeah. for a living. Because the pipes break. I mean, because yeah. the pipes freeze. It's, it's a job. It's a yeah. job. Okay. Whereas, 
Whereas I mow lawns in Aspen's exclusive West End and actually bend over and pick up the excrement. What are your, what are your experiences of people claiming to be characters in your books? And more importantly, who am I in the book? Okay. <laughs> You know, you are not in the book, and if this was not being um, taped, I would tell you, you know who Van is, really, but we're not going to say his name. No. Okay, I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it's based, uh, based on someone we know. But, but, it's, um, but his, his name is um, Van, uh, oh, God, I should remember, but Bernadette calls him Van, are you going to eat the rest of that branch? Right, because yeah. he's just a scammer, right? He's just yeah. like always saying, are you gonna eat the, are you gonna eat the rest of that? Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I actually came up with this character because I know that here in Aspen, in the winter, you can't have the pipes freezing so people come in, around and flush the toilets, right? To just get the water running through the pipes. And so I heard that and I thought that was interesting. And I wanted him to be a deadbeat, but he actually is not based on you. <laughs> 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 uh, um, you. you know, yeah. Whew. Um, but no, I don't think that they're. You, you know, if it, it, I've been flirting, as you know, with this writing an asthma book, and you are really going to be one of the main characters in that. Okay. So you know that. Good. Good. I know. Okay. He is, but but what makes it a is kind of weird is that is that the character, at least in the way that I wrote it, the character that, that's based on me ends up with him, which is a little uh, yeah. little weird. So maybe yeah, no. that's why I backed that's, off it. That's it just kind of worked work. out that way with the characters. Yeah. That's not gonna work. You're okay, cute and okay. all, but that's where I draw the line. <laughs> okay, so the book about Seattle. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to make fun of a town you grow up in which I get great joy in doing in right. my column here. Yeah. It's another thing entirely to move to a town and start making fun of it. I know, I it know. It has to be done very tactfully because yes. we see people or come not. to Aspen and do the same thing and tell us what our problems are right. and then how to solve them. Right. And then those people end up not getting invited to cocktail parties. What a tragedy. <laughs> what was the key to making your attacks on Seattle, if they were come across, uh, n not come across as, as, as being malicious in the end? Well, I, um, you know, I, well, I knew that, that she needed to start out in a malicious place, and I certainly had malicious thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I knew that she needed to start there, but also you needed to be a character arc. And I knew at the end she would like Seattle, she would love Seattle. And that it, it basically was her not taking responsibility for her personal problems to her taking responsibility for her personal problems. And that is all kind of through the prism of Seattle. And by the end she does say, I love Seattle. You know, in fact, I'm gonna read this because, it, because the, this last thing, and this really was, was, the, was the whole, point of the book, and I almost had this written from the beginning, is, is, is the final letter to be where she says, um, um, I blame myself, none of what's become of me was Seattle's fault, right? I knew that would be where I was headed. So I knew I was edit, headed to a place that was loving Seattle. But then here's what's funny about that. So I was actually going at, we were at dinner with people who are, lived in Seattle their whole lives, many generations. So I was saying to them, yeah, so I'm just tomorrow gonna write the last page of my book and it's where the woman who doesn't like Seattle, now she likes Seattle, and she's really pro-Seattle by the end. And then these people over there says, really? Because Seattle's 
like it really is so boring. Well, how could she really like Seattle? So, and, and so because of that, this is the rest of the paragraph. I blame myself. None of what's become of me was Seattle's fault. Well, it might be Seattle's fault. The people are pretty boring. So I just, which I think is like, my God, I can't even not undercut these nice people from Seattle. I can't, um, but I just have a compulsion. But I'll tell you is that, is that I think that, see, I love all my characters. And I think that this is something that, that a lot of, um, uh, I went to go see George Saunders speak uh, last week at Town Hall. And, and you know, a lot of people accuse him of hating his characters or being really down on his characters or just writing people just to mock and humiliate. And, and he had the same answer which I do, which is that he loves his characters and I love my characters and all the characters, um, I find great humanity in them. So I don't think that I'm being that, um, that mocking, like Audrey, for instance, you know, who's like almost kind of the typical horrible Seattle character, you know, as, as I put her in the book. I actually, she's a really big part of me, and I feel like I have that streak in me that <laughs> judges other mothers at school and, and is kind of gets into a panic if things aren't, don't look good from the outside. So I was really trying to connect to all these characters in a very personal way. Um, so I think you can make fun of them, but also there has to be humanity. You can't just hate them and mock them. Then, then the reader knows that. I think, I think there has to be generosity and love always. And that's what the, the next uh, observation I had about the book was that the same goes for the school parent yes. relationship in the book. It starts out nice and funny and then it turns nasty. Right. Um, being mean, as a writer, I found is essentially a default setting, and it's 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 the low hanging fruit of right. satire writing. Totally, yes. And and um, how did you rectify that element in the book, and and make that um, make that likable with the parent relationship? You mean just like the school stuff, the mm -hmm. mothers the and everything? Stuff, yeah. Well, I I don't know. I mean, I never, you know, the the first thing I should say is I never try to make my characters likable. I think that then you're in a very bad creative place if you're trying to get people to like your characters. I think, I, I, I always, the questions I ask myself is, is it, is it true and is it entertaining? You know, I try to make it real. I try to really make these characters make sense and have, you know, work as, as whole people in my mind and I really try to get all, get all that working and then, um, I like to have them take a lot of action, you know, because that's why the book is so filled with plot is because people are, are doing kind of crazy things, you know, and, and causing crazy situations. And so I just try to say, are they real and are they entertaining? And, and I don't try to, um, likability is never something I, I think about, you know, um, and, and, and I think, I, I would like to think that, that good writers don't. You know, I think you're in a lot of trouble if you're trying to give them like good characteristics. Okay. I think being a writer is kind of a drag, personally. It's like having a wart sometimes you can't get rid of because you're always looking and <laughs> mm -hmm, thinking mm -hmm. of ideas and mm -hmm. listening to conversations. And it's, it's hard to escape from. Mm -hmm. Do you like being a writer? I love being a writer. I love it. I just, it's the best thing of my life, and I'm so proud to be a writer. I feel um, I'm very proud to be, have been a screenwriter. And I'm, I'm really proud to be a novelist. And I'm so uh, proud that those are my people, writers. You know, I think that, um, I, I think that there's something about 
novelists in particular, I think, are a very strange breed of people because it takes a really, really long time to write a novel. So you have to be, you have to kind of want to, you have to want to be alone for years and years at a time, mm -hmm. not knowing if anything's going to come of it. I mean, I, I really admire anyone who's just finished a novel, written any novel, because it, 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 it's such a, a, a scary act of, of faith, and there's such an emotional risk in, in sitting there alone, not knowing if anything is going to come of it. You know, and I, I, loved, I loved this book as I was writing it. I loved my first book as I was writing it. And I would never, any time I was not having fun, I would just get up and walk away from the computer because I love writing. I love thinking about what I'm writing. I love just fiendishly going, oh my God, what if this happens? And what if they do this next? And that just makes me almost happier than anything in the world. Um, but at the same time, almost, you know, parallel to that or just kind of toggling with that is, is I love this and why would anyone care about this? Like, oh my God, I've gone crazy. What am I doing sitting here I, thinking anyone would care? And, and, and those are the two things almost just like I say in a binary way that I'm thinking when I'm writing. And so I, I do love being a writer and I love that risk. I love the fear of it, you know, of not knowing if it's going to work out and just kind of pushing yourself. Um, in, in, into a corner and, and believing in something that no one else believes in. I mean, that's the other really cool thing about being a novelist or, I mean, I, it's a very pure form of art in that nobody really wants you to be doing it. No one's, at, I mean, I'll have a deal for my next book now that this book's successful, but there's gonna be a certain amount of interest in my next book, but the world really doesn't need it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's such an act of self-will. It, it's, so, it's so insane when you think about it. I mean, when I look at this book, I think how, how mad did I have to be? Like, how crazy, yeah. how much did I want this, man, to, to, to work it out and put it on the page? You know how many years did I spend on this? It really is an act of madness, I think. That was a good answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a significant component of this book having to do with architecture. Yes. If you were to come to Aspen and start making fun of Victorian houses, Bill Sterling would have your head on a stake. <laughs> I like the line that the houses are poorly situated on the lot. On that the lot, is, yeah. to me, the best part of that, uh, the, the trance. See, I love that line. Well, that's another thing where that actually shouldn't be funny because I don't even understand what's funny about it. I just wrote it, but that just ends up getting the hugest laugh of any. And I'm like, it didn't get that big that? a laugh, but it actually did. It's, it's, um, <laughs> Let's roll the tape. It did. Okay. okay. Maybe it's just because I said thank you. They were Bernadette. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Bernadette kind of reminds me of a psychotic female version of Harry Teague. Oh. <laughs> I like is Harry. Harry he's a, here? Is he he's, here? He's a dear friend of no, our family. No, I families. guess he's not here. Yeah, we love Harry. And he's not here. Phew. Yes. <laughs> what are your experiences with architecture that made it such a big part of the book? Well, so as, as, as I um, explained, it, I wanted it to be about an artist who had had a huge... I wanted to write about me, and I wanted to, didn't want to write about a woman who was a novelist whose novel has failed because that would have, even I knew that there was no entertainment value in that, um, uh, as, as obsessed as I was with it. Uh, so so I then I thought, okay, I have to make her an artist but have another kind of failure in her past. And I love architecture and I love houses and I felt like, and I'm 
snobby about houses but can be enthusiastic about houses. So I felt like that was an interesting area. It had some energy for me. And then, in fact, I don't know if you remember this, but that um, one day when I was here, maybe four or five years ago, we were walking down the mall in Aspen, and there was this guy who was walking down the mall who really looked like a ghost and coming, coming towards us. And you said... Um, you said, check that guy out. And I looked at him and I was like, whoa. And he said, and you said, let me tell you a funny story about this guy. And you said, there was a house that he was, do, do you remember was the developer? There was a Okay, row. so tell me, because this is what the whole we, house was based on, was this story. We were walking down the street in downtown right. and I pointed out a guy to you who was a developer. Right. And there was a row of houses, luxury townhomes that had just been built over at the end of the Meadows Road yeah. across from the parking lot. Okay. The guy down in the valley at the end of Sneaky Lane um, who lives down there was extremely unhappy with the houses being built there above his view. And upon the day of completion, he bought all four townhomes and had a tractor come and tear them all down. Yeah. And right now, there is currently an open space field there yeah. And to me, as sad as that was, I, it was almost a victory in some twisted way, but yeah. it was really, uh, there's just a lot of different ways to look at that. Um, you know, some people said, some people said it was wasteful. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, it, the, the guy, it, 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 for, for him, I don't necessarily think he ran away from his family and moved to Antarctica over uh -huh, it. Okay, yeah. But, but. But uh -huh. I did think that that yeah. was a profound turning point or event in his life. Of this guy. Well, so, and so that's why, you know, I was look, looking for something because the whole book really, I was making a case that something was so horrible. Like for me, my book failed and I felt sorry for myself for a few months. You know, what I was doing was 15, somebody, this would have to be something that for 15 years someone wasn't able to get over. And it was very hard to, to you know, it had to be, it had to be big, you know, and it had to be when you got to that point in the book, you had to go, aha, I get it, it makes sense. Not, oh, quick, you're whining, you know? Mm -hmm. And this seemed big enough. And so I just had it buried in the back of my head and thought this would be a good, a good story. There's a part in the book where the, the B, I think she, she says she's seen, she sees her father in some awkward way yes. and is unable to rid herself yes. of that. Yes. Can you explain that a little oh. bit? <laughs> well, this was, um, oh yeah, I'm glad you liked that. It was, um, it was that the father, uh, that the father has a lot of, um, he, it's like he wears um, like breathe right strips and he's always putting in eye drops and he's always like <laughs> wearing croquis around his glasses. Yeah. I don't know, he has all these accessories and that she, she had, and, and she at one point looks over at all of his weird little accessories and she thinks that he, it reminds her of like a giant 14 year old girl. And then she says, once you think of your dad as a giant 14-year-old girl, you just can't go back. Yeah. yeah and like so, that. and it's I just like sad that. that she's just kind of carrying around with her. Yeah. There's another part in the book where the, uh, the family is driving. I, I don't think LG is in the car. I think it's just Bernadette mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. B. And they have a, a, a friend with B or they're about to do a, a sleepover. Yes. And the kids are, this is a pretty common thing. The kids are sitting in the back of the car and... And the and the and the, the the friend of the daughter says, "I'm bored," and then and then B says, "Yeah, I'm bored," 
And then what does Bernadette do? Well, she, she pulls the car over, and she pulls the car over and turns around and says, you're bored now? Let me give you a secret about life. It only gets more boring. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it's, you better learn that it's on you to make life interesting and learn it now. And then I, I write that the two girls burst into tears and, uh, and, and the girl never gets a play date again with B. Um, <laughs> but that's true, my daughter's here. Poppy, you and Callie, you don't remember that, but I said that to you in the car. And Callie, is that we were in the car, was in Seattle driving up and there was nothing to look at out the window, they said. They were, and I, <laughs> it did not sit well with me, I just, let you have it. Yeah, that there was, there, there was nothing good to look at out the window. Yeah. Okay, before this interview gets out of um, control um, and you ramble on anymore, I'd like to, I'd like to try to reestablish um, credibility here with a, with a two-part yes or no question. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is two-part yes or no. Okay. Adhere to the guidelines. <laughs> Number one, did you think it was okay to use the part about my pet rabbit sailor oh. in your book? And number two, are you emotionally prepared to make financial amends oh. for that overstepping of my fragile childhood oh. boundaries? That's right. That's right. I forgot that that was you, yes the sailor or no? the rabbit. Okay. <laughs> No, Do you need I, me to reread the no, question? No, I don't feel bad about it. And no, I am not going to make you any financial amends. Okay, good. No to good. both. How about Fair that? enough. Okay, stand up for myself. I can do it. I can, I'm an artist. I can. My life is my canvas. You yeah. wrote a... <laughs> and your life, too. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, I can be an eraser as well, so don't forget okay. it. You wrote a piece for the New Yorker magazine called The Rainbow Room. Oh, yes. And it was a huge Dear hit. Mountain, Dear Mountain Room parents, actually, if we're D keeping okay. track of what it's yeah. really called. Dear okay. Mountain Room parents. Yeah, okay. it, um, it was a huge hit, and it got you in a little bit of hot water. Um, where did that fit in the, in the timeline of you writing Where'd You Go, Bernadette? That was, um, you know, I wrote that after... When the book was going through copy editing and everything, it just occurred to me. And it was so weird, I never even made the connection with that piece and, the, and my book with emails, because I really do write in other ways. But that was just something from our preschool, our real preschool, which was that, um, which was that it was Day of the Dead, and that uh, it was there was a Day of the Dead celebration. There were just these increasingly of elaborate emails that, that were, they sent one email the teachers did of, hey, we're doing Day of the Dead um, at our school, everyone join in. And, and then, I've been lobbying with Colorado State legislators to make the reply all feature in email illegal in Yes, Colorado. exactly, so the reply, so what happened is that then they kept getting the, these elaborate, uh, you know, just to clarify, another one, you know, it's not a religious holiday, just to clarify, just to clarify. And I just thought it was really funny just reading this one-sided part of the correspondence, just knowing what kind of fire hose of, of like hurt feelings and outrage <laughs> and indignation was happening between the emails. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what I did. And then, and, then, and then there was something about it that they kept talking about, that they were referring to the altar. Will you come for pictures for our altar? Will you do this for the altar? And, 
and then by the end when the woman who's the, the teacher writing all of these emails, she said to clarify, it's not, l l let's just stop using the word altar and call it what it really is, cinder blocks covered with a Seahawks blanket. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, that's, yeah. and that's what got me into trouble with our old preschool when there was a mountain room because they were very upset that everyone was really pegging it on them because it, it, it placed the school in Seattle. And then mm -hmm. didn't you really flip the table on that, be oh, getting yeah. in trouble? I guess, I, 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 guess I, I didn't know that I told you this. Yes, so, so at first they were really upset about it that they thought that I was making fun of their school and had even like an outside... Um, uh, crisis manager or something. I mean, like, really. Like, they thought it was just going to be this awful thing. And then, and I was so freaked out because I really didn't want to upset them. I loved the school and I thought it was funny. And didn't I Didn't you call the New Yorker and tell them at one point to try to yeah, not publish no, well, them? I, well, I wanted to take out the Seattle reference, you know, because then I thought maybe they would not, mm -hmm. you know, because I really didn't want people to be upset by it. And so then um, they, they asked if I would come to a parent forum and basically defend myself in front of all the irate parents. And I said, yes, I'll do anything, I'll do anything. And then I think my boyfriend, George, was just like, don't do that, you know, that's ridiculous. Don't get so, don't go crazy, you know? But I said, I'll do it, I'll do it. And so then I, I, um, I then this thing that was gonna be me basically standing there being stoned by these outraged parents um, uh, turned into, the piece got so beloved that they turned it into a fundraiser. Um, to meet me. Yeah, so it was just funny how then everybody loved, it's like one of the most emailed pieces, you know, everybody loves it. And so then they were like, the, you know, the school that, that's, the, uh, that's where Maria Semple's kid goes, so that was kind of funny. I, I, hey, hey, Hoggy, I think it's time to uh, turn it over. Okay, I want to ask you one okay. more, um, one more question. Okay. Um, who was your astronaut instructor? Oh, <laughs> Frog. Frog, okay, yeah. good. Good. Yeah, Frog. <laughs> yeah. Did we all have him? Yeah, we know Frog, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, do we have questions from the audience? How do we do this? Just. Okay, does that. Okay, Jerry Koretsky. Hi. Hi. Okay. That letter was the culminating force in the mm -hmm. book and explains everything. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about your process of writing that letter? It has so many fabulous, funny things in it. How long did it take you to get that whole list? Um, that, that, uh, it didn't take me very long. I mean, I, I do a lot of drafts, and so I probably sat down and in um, one day or uh, maybe, you know, I might have given myself, you know, maybe I gave myself a week for that. There were a few things that I thought would be hard, and I gave myself a week, just sat down on Monday and thought I'm just going to kind of hammer through this. And um, I just kind of went from joke to joke in this one. You know, I edited it out, but there's a lot of kind of emotional ups and downs, and and it, it's really, um, it, it's, it really veers emotionally, which is what I was most interested in. You know, right when it seems to be funny, she just kind of chops it off and changes the subject. And um, that was kind of the hardest thing to craft. But of all this stuff, I don't know, it just came pretty easily to me because I was, um, you, when I first moved to Seattle, and, and I feel like there's a slight, 
misperception about me in Seattle, because a lot, now people want to interview me about, oh, what do you think of Seattle, and you're an expert on Seattle, and I think all I was was a lady who moved there who didn't know how to get around, you know, and that's really all the book is. It's talking about the intersections and the one-way streets, and so it was very much just, and the Idaho cars in front of me, it was really just my daily life of moving to a new city, and I guess Boston's a very hard city to get around, and a lot of people have emailed me about Boston, saying this is exactly what it was like when I moved to Boston, and it was just the, it was really just the street grid that was really the source of all of my frustration, <laughs> and so, and it was about drivers, I mean, it really was just my daily life, and so that, th those were, were percolating in me, you know, I'd sit there and just kind of hone them in my head in my bitter rage uh, at, at nothing, uh, and so I would just kind of work on them in my head, so it didn't, maybe it took me a week, and then I would rewrite it and rewrite it, and, um, and it was fun. I mean, I, 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 really, I really like that section now. I think it's funny and it's, it's pretty cool. It works. Thank you. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, Bill Sterling, defending himself. <laughs> he is a Victorian. Yes, himself. Maria, it's the, it's the funniest book I've ever read in my life. Oh, thank you. And I knew your father before mm -hmm. I knew the Third and you. And he was the funniest person I think I've ever met in my life as well, too. Move over. Uh -huh. and, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. But uh, you, you're really moving ahead. One of the very interesting things about the Winter Words is it started with Jim Salter. Yes. And the other bookend is you, Maria. Mm -hmm. And those are two of Aspen's first writing families. Mm -hmm. And it's so great that it started with it this winter. It was just brilliant of the uh, Writers Foundation to, to do it this way and to end with you. Mm -hmm. Now, this book is so funny. Your other book also was funny. It had some really terrific parts in it. Thank you. Uh, and some authors then get into a mode of just being humorists, like Nora Ephraim or someone mm -hmm. like that. Uh, it just doesn't stop, Maria, through the whole book. Is that going to be the theme for you in future books? Well, uh, and this is very hard to talk about because it seems very disingenuous, but I actually didn't... Um, try to make the book that funny, or the first book that funny. I mean, I was really just trying to make it true and try to kind of make it full of energy and make it, um, make the rhythms of it good, you know? It's, you kind of read it out loud and you get the rhythms, and I think that was a lot of my comedy writing background. But, you know, when I was reading it, I was saying, oh, I think that's funny and that's not funny. I was certainly, like, aware of it, but that's not really what I was going for. I'd say if there was a list of priorities, that would be maybe 20 on my list. That was really the le very low on my list. Um, but I think, I think you, you have a, um, you're born with a comic sensibility. Obviously, Lowe has it. You know, I have it. George has it. My, my boyfriend does in that you, you, um, you see something and you think it's funny, you know? Like, like the, the house being torn down. Lowe was just like, this is a hilarious story. You know, where my, a lot of people would say, oh, you want to hear a, a sad story? He's like, yeah. I've got the funniest story to tell you, you know? And, and that's how I am too, you know? We just, no matter what it is, we're seeing the humor in it. And I think that's just nature. And, and so therefore, when I write, it's just going to come out that way. But I love that it's funny. And you know, I, I, I'm now almost embracing it. At first, I, I feel like there's so many really funny writers out there, and I don't think I'm that funny, that I feel like, I, oh, don't call me funny, because there's other people much funnier. Like, I really, really respect some, some really brilliant, funny writers. And I, I don't feel even comfortable being talked about in the same sentence as them. So. 
Uh, well, thank you. I mean, I, that's very nice to, to think of, but because I love that. And that, you know, when people say, I read your book over like three nights in a row and I was laughing all the way through. I thought like, wow, good for me, man. That is hard to do. <laughs> do you know, like I did something amazing. If that, no one's ever done that for me. Let me just put it to you that way. And I wish someone would, because it must be nice. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I would love to laugh for three straight days. Yeah. Anybody else? Was that a nasty answer? Okay, yes, no, okay. Maria, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit more about growing up with dad and uh -huh. the, your writing family. And when I hear you and Lo speak, I, I hear your father speaking. Yes. And I'm just wondering how that shaped what you're doing now, especially moving from screenwriting to novel, being a novelist. Um, well, I, I think on, on a, just a, in a really basic way, and this is where Jim Salter, um, to Bill's question, really factors in. I think growing up in a house where someone is making a living writing, is your, it, it's so unusual that I take it for granted. You think, okay, I can make a living as a writer, that people do that, and a lot of people don't, wouldn't, it would never occur to them. You know, I've referred to my, my boyfriend, George, George Myers here, he's a TV writer, wrote for The Simpsons Forever, and, and he um, really didn't, had, had nobody in his life who was, he didn't know anyone who was a writer, didn't know anyone, God forbid, who had a career writing, and so he was just like kind of creating it as he went along, and I think that with my father, just to have the path laid out for us, it, that's a huge advantage, um, that, it, that it, it didn't seem like something impossible that I had to create for myself. It felt very natural. And he was always reading. I mean, I think more than anything, any kind of um, writers you have to be reading, you know? And so we, we had such a, a house filled with books and he was always reading. And, um, and so that, that I think has a lot to do with it. He was very social. And he got us very, there were always people, I mean, I think half the people here have been at our house for dinner, you know, in one of our <laughs> fabulous dinner parties. And I think that, that you have to love people and be fundamentally interested in people and be really just curious and want to know them and want to know more about everyone you come across. I think that that's a, I think that has to be an instinct in, in a novelist, and I think if you don't have it, you're not gonna write a good novel. And so, just growing up in a very social way with very interesting people around, and my father and my mother both really valued interesting people, and that, that was part of our, uh, our, our growing up, and I don't, think a, I don't think a lot of people necessarily can say that about, about their upbringing. Lo, what, what do you think about that? I, I remember uh, reading screenplays Mm -hmm. as a as a kid and 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 get, getting absorbing that format mm. as as a normal uh thing which is a, a screenplay is a difficult yes thing to read because it's it takes active participation from that's right fr you have fr to fill it in fr yeah. from the reader it takes uh and then the other thing i remember is is yes a lot of creative people mm -hmm. around and um the social gatherings at the house which seem to be um these days is, is, is fewer and farther in between. That's right, it just doesn't seem to happen with our generation as much. I mean, we would have people over four nights out of seven. And you the know? other thing mm -hmm. that it was interesting about that also with our father was being able to be on the set 
of movies. Yeah. Like I have vivid memories mm -hmm. of being on the sets of movies before they were out and then seeing them uh -huh. later. Like I remember being on the set of Logan's Run when we were uh, watching King Kong being filmed. Oh, that's right, it was remember scribbling the, on the, the lot. And, yeah. the, and, the, and, and, and those experiences and meeting actors yeah. and, and, and having those, and, yeah. but taking it for granted and not realizing the significance of it until a later until day. afterwards yeah, yeah it was it was cool yeah it was good mm -hmm. one more question come on I'll, i promise you okay I'll, it will be a really good answer hi <laughs> uh, <laughs> hi so a friend of mine jeff weingrad wrote a book about saturday night live oh and when i read it i just see it as facts and then I read Lowe's articles in the paper, in paper because as I know him, I could hear him telling me these things and I'm laughing my head off because I know Lowe and it's coming yes. from him. When you guys read each other's work, do you read them as columns and books or something that your sibling is saying mm. to you and how are you interpreting what you read that each other wrote? When I read Lowe's stuff, um I mean, I'm, I, I've got to say my main, the main feeling is pride, I think above all, more than, I, I'm just so proud of him that he did it, and, and I'm so, um, I, it's hard to write, you know? It's, I, I, I think Lowe sat down and wrote this, like he has other stuff to do. He'd rather be <laughs> hiking on a Highlands Bowl, right? Or Yeah, I mean, he has, you know, so I, I, I really admire the work and the craft. Um, and so I think that's the main thing that, that and, and I of course hear his voice, um, but I also, you know, d talking a little bit about emotional risk, I, you kind of went dark with this last column, mm -hmm. babe, you know that, right? Yes. Okay, but I don't know if anyone knows his last column, the, but it was like a little dark about Aspen and this season and what Aspen's turning it into and, and um, I was mainly, you know, you're, you're interested because you get to see a side of someone you love that, that you don't know necessarily, but, and then I'm proud that he crafted it and put it down. And it's just, it, it, it's just kind of a reminder of how, of how deep people run, you know, that we goof around and stuff, Lo and I do, but then when I read his columns, I just see there's so much more going on and that he's worked hard and crafted it. So that, that's what I see. And my, my uh, experience with that, Darren, is when you read something that someone in your family has written, it's challenging to read it objectively because there, is so, there are so many attached uh, emotions and backstories and th there's, there's the whole uh, soup of emotions attached to it. So it is hard to decipher with Maria's book I read it before it was published. And so I was, I liked it, but I wasn't sure how to react to it without seeing how other people reacted to it. It sounds shallow and, and, uh, mm -hmm. and but, 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 but truly, no, but true. you, yeah. you're not, you're, you're really not sure to how to have your own feeling about it because you have so many other feelings towards it. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that's right. I'm we needed to end on a laugh. What, what was this about? <laughs> oh, we got one. Okay. Good night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.